Well, hello and welcome back for another episode of Ranching Reboot. This episode of the podcast has been sponsored by C90 Ocean Minerals, nature's most complete trace mineral salt and the one I feed to my herd. Support for this episode also provided by our generous patrons over on patreon.com forward slash Red Hills Rancher. If you'd like to support the show and allow me to continue to produce weekly podcasts, head on over to patreon.com forward slash Red Hills Rancher, click the link on the show notes or follow the link on redhillsrancher.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This week's guest is my good friend Macaulay Kincaid coming in from Southwest Missouri. Today we're going to talk about the power of positive feedback. Macaulay's going to explain some of the reasons why the corn this year is probably so poor, some lessons from failures this year, how to turn cash crops into cover crops with cattle. We're going to talk about how you measure biomass and figure out some grazing math. And we're going to talk about Mac tries to describe a noise that he heard, and for the second week in a row, somebody gets a shout out. So here we go. Episode number 80 with Macaulay Kincaid. You, you going to do an intro? I will do that intro later. So Macaulay yeah. Kincaid, veteran of the Ranching Reboot podcast. In fact, I was just, <laughs> we were just talking before the show a few minutes ago that Macaulay was episode three, and if I've done my job on the release schedule, everything's already recorded now. I didn't plan this, so two weeks ago, we had the special with Hobbs and Tori. He was uh, episode one, our first guest, and then last week should have been Michael Kinsey, who was yeah, episode number two, and now we're here with Macaulay Kincaid, episode number three. And let's just say that I don't have any plans for Mike Calicrete next week. Sorry to burst any bubbles. Um, there'll be something new coming <laughs> next week. <laughs> so Mac, how you been, buddy? Dude, I've been I've been on a roller coaster here the last 18 months. You know, you said it's been 18 months since I last on here. Right. It's been a lot of ups and downs. Uh yesterday was definitely down. We lost some in our community that meant a lot to my wife and I. Uh, you know, man, Mark. Unless your soul rest in peace, buddy. He was a good one. He, he died yesterday in a straight truck accident. Good farmer, good friend of mine. He actually sowed my very first cover crop for me back when I didn't have any equipment. So, um, guy meant a lot to me. And, and, uh, like I said, a lot of ups and downs this year, but you know, there's been, there's been some positives too out there, you know, on this farm, but, um, last 24 hours been weighing pretty heavy in my wife and I's hearts. And I'm just so thankful to be able to do this. And uh, kind of bring my energy back up because I kind of been down a little bit of a down mood the last 24 hours, but this kind of got me excited. So that's good. Okay. Well, <laughs> you're from what I know of you, Mac, you're a hard, you're a hard guy to get down. You're always smiling. You're always full of energy. You know, that, that's one of the things I love about you. I appreciate that, man. Like I said, you know, you just got to stay positive. You know, I, I kind of trying to sound my, or surround myself with optimist people, you know, and, and you're one of those, you know, every time we talk, you know, it's normally about an opinion or an idea that you and I have and, and we bounce ideas off each other. And, um, I just like to surround myself with positive people. You know, that's why my group of friends, I don't know if you've ever been around Ray Archuleta or not, but 
that dude's energy is unmatched. I mean, it is insane mm. how much energy that guy can flow. I, I can't even tell you how many times somebody said Ray Archuleta. I've looked at his name on a pad that says, get these people on the podcasts. <laughs> and every time somebody <laughs> says his name, it makes a little tally mark. And I'm about running out of room to make tally marks next to Ray's name. I need to just go ahead and do it. But, it, you know, it seemed like a couple of months ago, I was at a point where I was kind of struggling to find guests and or struggling to make connections. And then one day everything just kind of clicked and now I'm scheduled pretty far out. And Good. It, I'll Good. take it. I'll take it. And uh, so sometimes when you're talking to somebody, it's kind of difficult. It's like, yeah, Hey, let's do a podcast. Well, when are you available? Um, I don't really have any recording slots until like mid October right now. <laughs> and they're kind of like, um, <laughs> eh, maybe I can't put that on my schedule quite yet. So I've, I've run into that and it's, Learning how far out to schedule is, is a challenge. Yeah, for sure. Oh, you there? Yep, we're here. I lost you for, sorry about that. I lost you just for a second. No, I mean, if you ever need Ray's contact, man, just let me know. And, and I can definitely get that for you. Ray, uh, you know, we only live about 60 miles away from each other. So, you know, me and that guy, I have learned so much off of him and we have bounced ideas off of each other. And, uh, he, he, every time I'm with him, he teaches me something new and the way Ray can look at a soil and describe how he sees that soil. It's one of, it's like an art, man. It's like one of the most beautiful things you've ever seen. I mean, you know, he'll be like, look at the distritosphere and look at the aggregation that we have going on here and, and the, and the rooting zones. And, and you know, that glomalin's forming through the mycorrhizae because of look at this top, you know, four inches of soil and how aggregated it is. And I sent you that picture earlier of my soil, my longest running no-till cover crop soil with cattle on it. And uh, that soil, we've been dry, you know, we cut off about June 3rd. We've been fairly dry from my area. And so, you know, there's no moisture in the top part of the inches, but we still have good structure and we have a lot of root structure inside that. And that's on row crop. Um, I look at my pastures and I cannot believe the resilience that that my pasture, you know, is sustaining with how dry we've been. It's, it's incredible. But like I said, you know, Ray, Ray just has this beautiful art of describing, describing things. And he was at my field day this year with Doug Peterson and, um, you know, crazy thing, really crappy deal. Actually, we, uh, about a week before my field day, we had, I think 10 inches of rain. Oh, and wow. so, you know, I live next to the river. And so my field day was lakefront property. I literally had water 10 feet from my house and my pasture was underwater. That's so fun. you want to talk about stress. Yeah, I was a little stressed out and Doug and Ray, we went around the row crop fields and we were going to spend more time in the pasture, but of course, you know, mother nature had other plans and uh, we would spend a lot of time in the row crop fields and after it was over, you know, uh, you know, Doug told me and maybe he was just tooting his horn. He said, you know, Mac, for as stressed as you were, that was one of the best field days I've ever been a part of. And that meant so much to me hearing that from Doug Peterson because I look up to that guy, you know, just like I do Ray. I mean, those guys are the top, top tier list you know, in my opinion of, of, of people out there. And, you know, I think uh, maybe next year I can have uh, Brian Alexander. I'll have to talk to him, but I, I don't know. I'll, I'll see what I can do. Um, maybe he can come out to the field then next year. That guy didn't know anything. <laughs> Baloney. <laughs> <laughs> Probably know more than me, man. You farm where it's hard or ranch where it's hard. My farm where it's easy, everybody says. I... Every place has its challenges and um, places where it rains a lot more consistently, 
have less challenges. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't even want to tell everybody what, how much rain we've already had this year because it's like you're not in a drought. Like, but you know, really are in a drought. It's, the first five it's, bad. it's really bad where you're yeah. at. Yeah. Yeah, it's not great, you know. But I will say, CK, that we're pretty blessed that you know we. Uh, I'm still grazing cows. Um, my wife and I, I did feed two bales of hay because we went to St. Louis last week. Mm-hmm. And so I gave him two bales because I felt for him. And, you know, last last winter we fed three bales of hay. That's all we fed to all of our cows. And we just keep them grazing. You know, we're far enough south. You know, the only thing that can stop us from grazing, it seems like, is ice. And yeah. there's a lot of planning that goes involved with that system. And uh, it just, it seems to work out pretty good. My cows can graze through snow. They might be southern mama cows, but they can do it just like the deer do it. And they seem to, they show me that every year. Every year we have, you know, that week or two of snow and it just works out and they just dig through. But it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, this system is so easy. Everybody, you know, every field I have or every person I talk to, it blows my mind of how much feed and hay and mineral that, that ranchers and farmers put out there. You know, I was on a conversation today with a guy from Texas and I told him, you know, I haven't fed mineral in about three years now. He said, well, you know, do you have any calves to sell? And I said, well, yeah, not to toot my own horn, but last year we actually calved a hundred percent. So every mama cow on the farm had a calf that was alive. And so I'm not, that's not going to happen every year. That already hasn't happened this year, but I don't think that the system is really all that complicated. I mean, it's really easy to judge. It's really easy, you know, to measure biomass and like times like this, like I take off 7% every month of dry matter because I know that we're losing moisture. The grasshoppers are desiccating crops. The deer is still grazing. So I just take off 7% every month. And if it stopped raining now and didn't rain until next May, I'd have enough forage for all my cows until next May. Wow. And Mac, mm -hmm. hold up, man. Like sometimes you just got to pause or take a breath, but so you talked about measuring your biomass and that's a question I get, get a lot. And I'm going to try to make some content real soon about, you know, how, how I measure grass and the different methods I use to measure grass. But what are you talking about when you're talking about measuring biomass and then lead back into, you know, the percent losses due to dry down and insects? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, as well as I do, so I guess I'll get in that the, the second question first in most part, because it's one that's a little bit more complicated. Um, so during dry spells, you know, it seems like the grasshoppers really take off in our area. And that maybe that might be everyone's context throughout the country. But personally speaking, every time it's dry throughout my lifetime, the grasshoppers come on hard. And so, you know, how I kind of come up with that, that, that 7% loss, um, you know, you figure in, you know, if a plant on average, you know, is, is around, um, you know, let's say 10%, you know, water throughout the plant. And, you know, every month, you know, I, you know, I've talked to Gabe and he's been sometimes almost a year without much rain and he can still graze. And, you know, it's that, that, that water percentage comes down. So you have to figure that in. And how I originally come up with that 7% was really this, this simple. It sounds kind of dumb, but I looked at how much in 2000, uh, in 2012, I was looking at, I had some pasture back then. I don't have that ground anymore, but I looking up how much the grasshopper is eating on on a on a paddocks what i call paddocks back then it was just like every 30 days they'd move to a different area but let's just say paddocks for the sake of this okay and i looked at the plant and it was a lot of the broadleaves and it looked like they took off you know about five percent of the plant 
you know, and it seemed like, you know, I, cause I was on a 30 day rotation back then pretty black and white. I didn't know what I was doing. I was dumb. I was young, you know, and, uh, it seemed like they were taking off about that much of the plant. And so, you know, I figured 2% loss moisture, 5% for the insects. And that's where we come up with now to answer your first question on biomass. There's a lot of ways to check biomass. You can take a, a yardstick out there. If you're talking perennial grasses that are short, like what we have fescue, stick it in there. And if you, you know, go to where you feel like it's the average on that place that those animals are grazing and or getting ready to graze i should say go out there with a the yardstick measure up your most dominant plants out there your top three you know let's say it's fescue orchard grass and red clover okay take the averages of those three let's say that you're going to take off hopefully depending on what time of the year it is if it's spring approximately about a quarter to a third of the plant so figure that as much biomass they're going to take off and if you're talking summer you know we're going to take off probably about half of the plant material because we're slowing the rotation way down Right. Um, and so let's just give you a rough idea. If you got 24 inches of grass and you want to take a calf, you go back down to 12 inches of grass and what you'll end up doing at first is how I did it. When I first learned this system from Alan Williams, I was doing it the way you're supposed to do it. Um, but then I was, I was, uh, By I, converting, I I was, converting everything to pounds and consumption and then right. running the numbers that way. You're just, you're just down to looking at height. Yeah. 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 I mean, so, so height from the sense, I guess I shouldn't say that it just only just height, but also you have to figure in what your cows are going to consume per day. Right. So let's say a cow on average eats 10% of her body weight a day. So if you have a thousand pounds, you're going to eat a hundred, hundred pounds of dry matter. Right. So your paddock size is going to have to be fit on that. I didn't go into the complete detail, but yeah, your paddock size is going to have to fit into how much forage they're going to eat. So I kind of left out some details and said, he's glad he said that Brian, cause that's really important because you can put them, you can put cows, and, you know, running a million pound stock density for, you know, 20 minutes and have the same impact, you know, that you can on running a, a paddock that's a half a mile long, um, you know, by, you know, eight feet for a day, you know, with 30 some ahead of cows. So you can have the same impact, you know, with whatever stocking rate I, I can, I can run. So I guess that's another thing too, stocking rate and stock density. You know, we've talked about that before. Right. I focus a lot more on stock density and that's, what's important. So, yeah. So to kind of, I guess the stupid, simple way to put it is just, um, measure grasses, figure out how much they're going to consume, figure up on average. So what I do when I first started out, I just figured out how far apart my T posts were. And that's how wide my paddock was going to be per foot. So when I first started, I know that my farm is a quarter mile wide. I know it's really simple, but that's max a simple person. That's how I, I did that. And, uh, so that knew how, how big an area I need to put the, the paddocks originally when I first got into this and, um, really simple method, you know, but it worked out, it's worked out pretty good, but I've, I've trained my eyes. Thanks to Jim Garish. I don't remember I was reading his book or if I was watching a video from him. I'm not really sure. I don't know if it was kick the hay out of it. It was a video, but this was quite a few years ago. I know it was Jim Garish though. And he said that he'd trained his eyes and I was like, wow, how stupid am I? I used my eyes to observe my crops agronomy and everything else but i wasn't using my eyes to observe my grass and so i just kind of taught my i kind of taught my eyes i guess you could say of how much forage i was taking and i can judge a paddock now since i've been doing this for you know what coming up on five years i guess um of how wide my paddock needs to be and it's it's relatively simple um so you can train your eyes and i think that's the best method i think if you you can tell when the cows grazing area you are and i'm not perfect I would say that I still fail eight, 10% of the time, you know, on average, um, being conservative there, I guess a little bit, but, um, you know, 
I'll overgraze a paddock on accident, but I just might give that paddock more rest. But that's important too, you know, with this whole system that we talk about, you know, is, is don't be in a rotation. The worst thing you can do on, on your ranch, in my opinion, is actually being what you would call a rotation. I never graze my farm the same way. I, like last year, I grazed my farm counterclockwise. <laughs> I'm grazing it clockwise this year. Um, you know, it just don't go in a rotation, fluctuate stock density, and you can, you can run as high as stock density as you want with however many animals you have. Um, just get them narrower and tighter. Um, and, and, and just nature is always different. It's always changing. And so just, you know, change, change your, change your ranch or farm, you know, for whoever's listening to this, that's, that's really important. And don't ever get stuck in what I would call a rotation. Awesome. All right. <laughs> so we've gotten at least four or five new listeners of the podcast all the way back since episode three. So why don't we back <laughs> up a little bit and who are you guy? Like, let's talk a little bit about okay. Macaulay. Yeah, I guess I should have introduced myself. So I'm Macaulay King Kane. I'm a farmer in Southwest Missouri. I'm about 30 miles north of Joplin where the big tornado happened in 2014. Um, now we're up to around 880 acres of, of uh, row crop land. Mm-hmm. And we have around six mama cows. Uh, so, you know, my context is my context and my goals on my row crop land is we are 100% no-till. We do no tillage. We are 100% cover crop. Um, we have a very diverse cash crop rotation of over 10 crops. Um, and it's not even really rotation. It's more of like a shooting target of webs. Um, we, uh, we also, you know, we started implementing cattle on row crop land. I believe in 2016 was the first time cattle met row crop land. And, um, you know, I always give this spiel. I wanted to no-till and the key to no-tilling was cover crops. And the key to, co- I want to know how to pay for cover crops. So the key to cover crops is cattle. So every one of our, the land that we own and of the 880 acres, the only land that we do not own is about 128 of that. Um, we own the rest. And, uh, you know, we, uh, the key to cover crops was cattle. And so we have fence on all of our farms, but one that we own. And the only reason we don't have a, any fence on that farm yet is because I haven't put the water uh, infrastructure in yet to be able to put cattle on that farm. So, I mean, really a little bit of my, a little bit more of my background, diving a little deeper, how I got started farming. Everybody always asked me, well, how did you get started farming? When I was 20 years old, I lost my dad to cancer and I inherited my first 60 acres paid for and cleared. So I got kind of a good, um, <laughs> a good, I got kind of a financial jump there with the first 60 acres to leverage for the rest of the farm, I guess I should say. Um, so I just kind of dove all the way in. I knew I couldn't afford tillage equipment because it didn't make sense for a young farmer to build a even afford a disc, let alone, you know, much else. And so on my farm, all I have is a tractor, a drill, a planter, and a roller crimper. I don't own a combine. I don't own a single piece of tillage equipment. I don't own a brush hog. Um, I just, I'm pretty well basic and simple, you know. What's more important, the tractor or the roller crimper? Ooh, probably the tractor because it's, it runs the planter and the drills well. I've only got one tractor, so... It gets switched around a lot, Brian. It's like, oh, I got to put on the drill this day. We got to put on the roller crimper tomorrow. Then it has to be on the planter by tomorrow evening. And we have to do this and have to do that. So it, it get, it's the workhorse of the farm for the most part. Oh, I guess I did forget to mention one of the most important pieces of equipment I have on the farm, which is my Polaris Ranger. I should say that is probably the most important. Um, we do way more custom grazing of other people's livestock on our land than I have my own cows. So it is, it is a big part 
of uh, my wife and I's income is, is our Polaris Ranger and custom racing by far. Um, so it's pretty important. Uh, They're handy like a pocket on a shirt. It's awful hard these days to get around and, and run an operation without a side-by-side. They, they save so much wear and tear on a pickup, so much fuel, and so much time. <laughs> For sure, man. I'm way too lazy. I'm not going to go out there and walk and put up poly wire. Yeah, it's kind of nice to... I've got it set up with, uh, with a thing from Livewire on a four-wheeler. Oh, yeah, I've seen it. Yep, yep. We can run quite a bit of poly wire off of that. Uh, my side-by-sides all have doors, so they're less than optimal for building fence out of. <laughs> Mine's just an open station Polaris, but um, it's uh, we bought a new one last year, and it's a it's a nice machine. I mean, it's it's a really nice machine and a lot better than what I used to have. I used to have this 2012 Polaris with, like, I don't even know how many hours. I don't know how that thing's motor never blew, but it was a lot of hours. I'm going to say it was, like, 4,100 hours maybe when we got rid of it. Oh, wow. um, it had a god yeah it was wore out i mean i had replaced about everything on that thing besides the motor but it was shot so good to get a new one so let's talk about your cash crops and your cover crops and rotations with cattle like tell me how all that's worked the last year yeah so um you know we've been pretty dry we cut off rain about june 3rd um and we had probably our annual rainfall bef- before May 20th. Um, so people always are like, oh, what? You get 40 inches of rain. Yeah, but it comes in about three months from about February to May. It's really great. And so that's kind of when you need to be planting your cash crops, as most people know. Um, this year, uh, row crop wise, I'm going to say I'm probably going to have more failures than successes. Um, I have a lot of, I have some good. I've got some bad and I've got some ugly on my farm this year. I, uh, my corn, I would say I'm going to be able to probably pick, um, for actual harvestable grain about a quarter of my acres because the rest of it was pollinating when it was over a hundred degrees for the two weeks. And we never rain, of course, uh, the soybeans have a really good chance. I'm not a farmer. Tell me what that does. Okay, so whenever uh, so when corn's pollinating, you know you need the male and female to to uh, yeah. pollinate together, right? So so you need to have you need to have rainfall to be able to soak the pollen down to the silks to pollinate the corn. So and also corn will not pollinate when it's above, I believe, ninety two degrees. And as you know, we've been well over hundred degrees for I don't know how many days. It's starting. It's down. It's down a little bit now. We're back in the nineties now, so we're pretty good there. But um, it's been a very hot summer, so. Like I said, only about a quarter of my corn I'll actually be able to pick. But the great thing is, is I can put cows everywhere else I have corn. It's going to be a failure. So I've already got guys calling me wanting custom grazing because hay is so short this year. So custom yeah. grazing went up 50 cents a head this year. So that's good. Oh, I mean, 50 cents a head? Yeah, 50 cents a head in my area. Yep. A day? Up. A day. Yep. Oh, and That's good um, to know. My, my, yeah, my Milo looks really good. I'm really happy with my Milo. Um, it looks, it's going to be good. My Korean Lespediza, it still has a really good shot because um, it doesn't start flowering until about August. So it's going to start, you know, it's going to start going to seed in late August. So it's going to be okay there. Um, my sunflowers were a flop this year, I'd say. We had really terrible insect pressure um, come on and they wiped them out. And I chose not to 
go the standard way and use an insecticide. And so I just let the I just let the grasshoppers desiccate the sunflowers down the stems. But the way I raise my sunflowers is a little bit different. So I still am going to have good grazing come next fall if everything works out right. Uh, how we raise our sunflowers is we go with a cereal grain in the fall, and then I I frost seed red clover in the in February, mm-hmm. and then um and then we go in after harvest of the cereal grain and we plant our sunflowers into the red clover. And so what I like about that is the red clover, you kind of want that, you know, synchronized effect your mycorrhizae fungi with the legume being with the sunflower because sunflowers are high in nitrogen using plant. Right. And so you kind of want the two to have this symbiosis. And since I don't use very much fertilizer at all, we don't, we haven't applied any P and K in three years now on most of our farms. Um, I want that symbiotic relationship between the grass and the broadleaf to, you know, hopefully fix nitrogen for the sunflower. Um, so even though the sunflower crop will be a failure, it was an open pollinated sunflower variety, not very expensive, you know, um, and I'll still be able to graze the red clover if we get some rain and the red clover and come back next fall. And we also got a grain harvest off of that. And the grain crops were really good this year. Wheat made 90 and the barley made 60. So I was super happy with my grain crops this year. So I, I, I guess you know, it with, sounds like. With the like price of wheat, I'd be happy with 92. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I am pretty happy. I, I, like I said, I'm a, I guess I, uh, I don't know. I, I shouldn't say that it's going to be a, a failure. I think actually my wife and I will probably make just as much money as we probably did last year because the grain prices, what we will have are so much higher and our inputs are so low, but, um, I just want success on every farm. And I, I, I have all this thought process. Like I, like I have all these ideas that I want to do every year. And when weather hinders those ideas, I've worked so hard and so much thought to put into, yeah, you know, kind of, kind of bum a guy out. I mean, you know, and and he just kind of, you gotta stay positive and just know that next year's gonna be better. And and uh, when I really think about the overview of my farm after I just talked about it, it's really not yeah. that bad. There's a lot of people that are gonna be in a lot worse shape than I am this year. And so, I'd say that crop insurance will bail out a lot of farmers. But you know, as I've said before, a lot of my crops I can't get crop insurance on because I raise so many different specialty crops. So, but I think the farm's pretty resilient because we have so much diversity on our farm that will be all right but, for sure for yeah sure. start i went to feel again and just cut off i always do that <laughs> it's all right you're, you're good brian do you have a garden right now yes we do and uh, you know the the corn took off i mean i got the corn in uh third week of april 22nd 24th is when i got by the time i got everything planted Yep. We sprouted the seeds inside. Like I'm talking about planting 400 corn plants, right? So we sprouted the seeds inside to make sure that they were going to germinate. Went out, each one of them in their own little special hole with drip irrigation. Um, came back and covered that up with prairie hay. Thrown chicken and duck lit- shavings out of the chicken and duck house. Down the rows and out amongst the plants. Planted some uh, some pole beans. Oh, nice. Like bed. a milk pie? Yeah. Um, no, just just the straight up pole beans for to get the nitrogen. Okay. Yeah. Didn't want to do milpa because squash beetles are kind of a thing. Okay. And the milpa mix I had left over from last year was like it was like a forty three way blend, and I think twenty seven of them were like squash, melon, cucumber type type situations <laughs> that you know those squash beetles just love to be on. Hmm. Um. So we stayed away from that. The the chickens have been in there for quite a while, um, doing a lot of good bug control. I think, uh, you know, I, obviously I'm no corn growing expert, right? 
I know how to grow Indian grass and that's not even close to corn. Um, <laughs> I, I can see the, I know a lot of them didn't pollinate. I know I had a lot of pollination problems. Um, and yeah, I, I can see that, that the hot weather kept everything from pollinating correctly. Um, I'm also having something really weird happen. Like I'll have immature kernels start rotting and getting fungus mm. inside the husk while it's still in the ear and the kernels are still developing. I even had, are one... they like big, big white puff balls? That's is, is it smut. No, it's not smut. And it might not be, okay. it'll probably look different anyway. Cause this is, um, I grew some atomic orange and it was like, it was a flop. It was bad. Cause just as soon yep. as it was starting to really starting to want to ear out, cause that's like an 80 day corn. As oh. soon as it was wanting yep. to start to do things, it got super hot and we just, it just got super, super hot and it never really pollinated well. But um, the wage giant corn, oh man, I've got some 10 foot tall plants. It's pretty cool stuff. Um, wow. But it, it's not pollinating completely. And I've peeled back a couple of ears and there's some rot. And then there's even kernels that are trying to sprout roots while they're in the oh. ear. Does that make any sense to you? Germinating in the ear. Are you, are you overwatering? We have drip irrigation. Are you overwatering? That's not what my question. <laughs> I don't think so. Okay, because typically with fungus, you know, and diseases like that, and typically they're, you know, uh, I would not. I'm going to call soil-borne diseases. I would actually call them water-borne diseases. Some of the stuff you're talking about, like mold and stuff like that, can be caused from too much water. And and, and yeah, that's my thought too, but it's been so super dry here and you know the rot the mold it's all the way up in the ear three foot off the ground right right so but you know where's that plant water from yeah yeah water moves inside plants <laughs> i just figured that out yeah yeah it's kind of like our bodies in a way you know yeah yeah circulatory system oh how about that yeah <laughs> so yeah, the, the corn hasn't been great. Um, tomatoes, tomatoes went in kind of late and they are just now starting to really produce by this time this comes out, we might be up to our eyeballs in tomatoes, but we've had yeah. potatoes. Uh, we've had a lot of potatoes. We've had some good onions. We've had a lot of salads uh, from different greens and spinaches and um, even a little cucumber and um, some carrots and uh, peppers was the most recent recent thing to be harvested. So there's uh, there's some peppers we're working on. Not like, not green peppers and red peppers, like evil little purple peppers and little black peppers and little ones that are red no. that are supposed to turn a different color when they get ripe. Like I, I look at some of no. them, she says, hey, this is supposed to taste just like a habanero, but not be hot. I'm like, no, thank you. No, thanks. <laughs> Next writer. So garden's doing good. We got, uh, oh, we have a better bed of potatoes yet to dig up. So we're really, really hopeful that we'll have uh, potatoes for most of the winter and tomatoes for most of the winter. And so hey, I got a recommendation here. Uh, you should try masquerade potatoes. Masquerade? They're beautiful. They have beautiful purple blooms. They're, they're a gorgeous potatoes. Just Google masquerade potatoes and you'll be like, I got to get me some of those. I'll write that down. Masquerade. They're like a deep purple, right? They're very deep purple. Yeah, they're beautiful. And they're they're an old heirloom variety. 
we planted them not, not this year, but the year before. They're okay. No, actually, because the skin's white. Never mind. We got like true purple potatoes, and I did not like those. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, I think. So. Yeah. I like ones. They're good. They taste good, and, and they're they're a little bit smaller, you know, but um i like you know just like uh for when i with, with, with like roast or something like that you know yeah this is rancy like a red potato but with purple skin okay that's okay, what you're red talking potato about skin. is that what you're talking no about? uh no masquerade is actually white and purple like so it almost looks like part of it's been peeled it's mm -hmm. kind of like splotchy that makes spotted like white white and purple it's kind of spotty the, the potato itself yeah okay or the potato seed I, I don't know how you say that yet. oh yeah <laughs> the potato yeah yeah you know what I mean? yeah yeah like a whole scene cow but purple and white <laughs> yeah right 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 i'm not all sure what kind of strange potatoes we have but i know there's very few of them that are white there's some that are black and purple and red and mm -hmm. and white that are red inside or that are red outside and pink inside and there's yeah potatoes are cool they are they are and you know a great way to raise no-till potatoes is i learned this off gabe brown and he stole the idea from Bruce stout so i called him out on that because i read Bruce's book but anyways um you know you lay your potatoes down and then you put like a thick you know two three inch layer of hay over yep. the top of them yep. gabe gabe just took her idea a little bit better with alfalfa because potatoes need you know pretty high use of of, uh, of nitrogen and phosphorus and so you know he'd lay he'd lay the alfalfa hay which alfalfa is of course high in nitrogen being a legume over the top of the potatoes and they'd come through and be really excellent. And so that's the method that we use um, in our garden is, is what I call the roost out method with uh, the Gabe twist in it with alfalfa. <laughs> I, I'm just thinking of, there were a couple places where the hay, the prairie hay that I put in my corn mm -hmm. was real heavy with some, with some uh, vetches because it was cut. Um, I think it was cut like mid August last year. You know, the vetches were still in bloom. That's nitrogen. Yeah. Yep. The corn and the corn where those, those two big patches of vetch were those two big kind of clumps of vetch were in that. Hey, seem to be doing pretty good. And I guess maybe that makes a little bit of sense. Why? Yeah. Yeah. Carbon nitrogen ratios are pretty important and everything, aren't they? It's kind of the basis of how life kind of, I guess, cycles in a way, if you think about it, you know, if you've got a low carbon nitrogen ratio in your residue, it's going to break down a lot faster and turn those nutrients back to the corn crop. And if you've got a high carbon nitrogen ratio, it's going to take a lot longer for it to turn back because the microbes are going to take longer to consume it because it has, they need that, you know, two parts carbon, one part nitrogen at the beginning of the cycling period to start cycling. Speaking of chemical breakdowns and drought, do you have any Johnson grass that you're worried about grazing? Uh, so, uh, well, I guess kind of a double-edged sword there if you want if you want to talk about that so there's some different philosophies behind that i've read quite a few different things about press and nitrate Look, let's, let's go ahead and open the can of worms and by the time this episode comes out it'll be probably too late for anybody to do anything but there's always next year okay okay so so one thing to keep in mind um when johnson grass has been stressed when it's little and you have a regrowth in a dry period mm -hmm. you're going to have a higher chance of prussic acid um anytime there's drought stress on regrowth and also you know most of your nitrate accumulation in sorghums um or johnson grass 
is actually in the lower six inches of plant. Approximately about 92% of it is in the bottom six inches of the plant. So if you're not grazing it down to the dirt, you should be okay from the mm -hmm. nitrate standing, from the nitrate point. But I don't really think if you're applying nitrates, it should be a problem, but I can't back that up with science or data. I don't really have any data points or university studies to back that. That's just kind of my theory. So don't hold me to that. Um, and okay, uh, all like data said, is anecdotal. What's that? Yeah. All, all yeah, data is, is anecdotal. Is, yes, it is. It is. And, and every bit of data has lies and money flowing through it, I'm sure. Um, so one thing, you know, another thing on sorghum um, that, I do personally on my farm or on Johnson grass, I'm sorry, Johnson grass is if we have those areas that are high in Johnson grass, I'll just put the poly wire around those areas where the cows can't touch them. And I'll let them almost go to full maturity. So even on a drought spell, like, or I don't want to say drought because Gabe would kill me, but dr dry spell that we're having, um, uh, even on a dry spell like we're having right now, you know, um, if, if you let the Johnson grass go to maturity, it should, you shouldn't have a problem with prussic acid or nitrate poisoning if you're not grazing it too low. So both of the main concerns with Johnson grass are both eliminated for the most part. Um, and you know what prussic acid is? I mean, prussic acid is a big deal. Uh, another way it can have well, I know what it is, but why don't you just go ahead and explain it? Okay, so it's cyanide gas. I mean, it's cyanide gas coming out of the cell membranes of the plants. The cell membranes expand from drought stress or I forgot to mention earlier a freeze and so yeah, the cell membranes expand yeah. uh also now we've got we've got uh we've got prussic acid you know apparent we have to be careful um or cyanide gas whatever you want to call it and so you know what cyanide gas does it co comes in the body and I believe it restricts the oxygen flow throughout the body and the animal and they essentially suffocate to death is the way I understand it so not good it cuts blood flow off and it can have a lot of major issues um, especially in high, high parts, you know, when it's very, very serious, um, with nitrate poisoning, what I found, cause I almost had a big major boo-boo one year grazing sorghum that was too short. That wasn't ready to be grazed. Um, I went out there after a day of them being out there and they're all huffing and puffing. Yeah. I put them on dry hay for a couple of weeks. And a lot of that, if you think about it, it's, uh, almost an imbalance of carbon nitrogen ratio in a way nitrate poisoning is so hear me out for just a second okay. if i believe if you supplement plenty of dry hay and make it a larger part of sedan grass that's high in nitrates i think the effects won't be as severe and you can keep grazing it and the reason for that is because that cow's gut energy and protein or or carbon nitrogen ratio is then balanced and yeah. leveled out and so you can kind of almost control that. You can kind of almost control that. And, and another thing, speaking about a cow's gut, I want to run something by you, Brian. I don't know if I've ever mentioned to you guys before, but we know that healthy soil should have close to a one-to-one -one fungal to bacteria ratio, correct? Yes. Well, I the very first time I ever seen mushrooms on my row crop land was after I grazed cattle. And this is another thing that I believe I don't have any data on or ever heard anybody else talk about, but I believe a cow's rumen is close to one-to-one -one in the fungal to bacteria ratio in the rumen because the first time I grazed cattle on row crop land, I'd seen mushrooms on the cow pads. And I, I think there's something, there's some sort of link that we don't really understand between cattle and, and, and grasses and how they interact with each other. And so when they graze, when animals graze, um, all ruminant animals, I believe have this, when they graze grasses, we're actually helping to return that fungal bacteria ratio back to where it should naturally be around that one-to-one. And so that's, that's very, uh, I don't know, that's just an opinion of mine, that, uh, an observation I've made, but I think it has a little bit of merit to it. 
about cattle. Well, I think that there, to some extent that over the last, I don't know, let's just call it 80 years of, of fungicides, I think we've used enough of them that we've killed off a lot of the beneficial fungus. We've, we've created blank spots in the, you know, blank spots for fungus in the world because we killed it with fungicide and something that's just a little bit more resilient to what we used to kill the last thing with moves into that area. And it turns out to be not as good. Like maybe some of the fungus or, you know, mold that I'm having on my corn or black death mold that seems to be everywhere in the country, you know, is that just here because we displaced something better that died with all the fungicides we used? Ding, ding, ding. Here's my opinion again. So um, I know you guys always love when I say that, but I believe it's actually lack of following the principles of nature, lack of diversity. If you're in a corn, wheat, bean rotation, you have two years of fusarium carryover. So that disease just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so, and because it has a host plant. If in a diverse pasture, you know, in some of my pastures where I have, you know, probably over a hundred different species of grasses, forbs, legumes, trees, shrubs, whatever, you know, you don't see those issues be prevalent. And that's because we have plenty of diversity out there. Uh, you know, the reason why, um, you know, the reason why, uh, you know, what you said, the black death mold is what you want to call it runs across the country is because it has a host. There's corn raised all across the country and it has, it has a host plant. The, the, and, and, and then if we want to talk about mycorrhizae fungi, we know that tillage destroys the colonization of the spores, the mycorrhizae fungi, and so it'll eventually die off or it'll starve to death without a living plant. So, I mean, we have caused so many of our issues. Most of our drought issues are, in my opinion, almost 80% caused by farmers or ranchers. I don't believe it's caused by emissions from vehicles. I believe it's actually a farmer rancher issue more than it is um a smog or i mean that stuff plays a role but I, when i think about you know what 200 some million acres of row crop land a year that's tilled so every time you till you force oxygen the soil carbon monoxide expelled back the atmosphere to get rain we have to have transpiration and respiration from living plants cycling causing the water cycle to happen so we have long periods of village we get we're just wrecking the system and, and i'm not pointing the finger to be a, a, a jerk but um, I'm just saying that, you know, we need to look in the mirror sometimes when we want to point the finger at everybody else. So sometimes maybe the biggest problem is actually, you know, us and we need to take look at our reflection and kind of um, think about how we can do better and be more environmentally sound and have a, a better positive impact on on the country. I think on the, the world the clear vision is that we can all do better, like all of us in yeah. livestock and food production involved in food systems. We can all do this shit a lot better than we're doing it now. For sure. For sure. And so I not like I said, didn't mean to step on your toes there, Brian, but that was my opinion. I believe it's, you know, diversity of plants, lack of diversity of plants, uh, creating host plants by having a too tight of a rotation and row cropping and tillage and, you know, just basically not following the principles of, 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 of nature, the principles that, you know, we look at the native prairies and how they function, just mimicking that it's nothing that's like new age, type farming it's just going back to the way that it worked when we didn't have to add all these inputs it makes so much sense yeah yeah so speaking of inputs i know you don't use any but how bad oh, is i <laughs> use very little how bad is five dollar diesel fuel hitting you uh, not bad at all uh it kind of hurts our trucking company a little worse than it does me 
um, on the farm uh, because, you know, we don't have very many passes of fuel. I mean, my tractor, let's, so let's just talk about my corn program for a second. Um, we have a, we have a, a drill pass for the cover crop. So, you know, and the tractor gets with a drill about seven and a half acres an hour and we're burning, you know, roughly around six gallon an hour. Um, and then we go to spring, we have a roller crimper pass on cover crops that can be terminated with the roller crimper and which doesn't cost very much fuel because you're not running your tractor at very high RPMs either. And you can run pretty fast. And then we go with our planning and we hire, if we need to have the herbicide sprayed, um, you know, some of our farms have now been two years without herbicide. Um, but sometimes, you know, there's an issue that needs to be addressed for row cropping to be successful, I guess you could say. Um, and sometimes a herbicide is necessary or necessary evil, especially if you have ryegrass in your cover crop system. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, and then, then they have the combine costs. Um, and sometimes like this year, you know, we won't have that and we won't have some herbicide costs and some farms will just have a cow grazing and a little four-wheeler running around moving the polywire every day. So um, it's a lot less than like, not to point at some of my neighbors, but some of my neighbors make a fall tillage pass, a uh, litter pass. I don't think uh, any of them listen anyway, so go ahead, point them out. Yeah. A, Just don't, don't name and shame. <laughs> no, don't shame, right. A couple of till, more tillage passes, then they finally plant after about the sixth or seventh pass, they finally plant their grain. Then they'll have multiple herbicide passes for two modes of actions or four, and then they will go on to their V5 fungicide, then they'll go to their tassel fungicide with an airplane, and then they'll combine and they'll pick the corn and then they'll put that corn in a bin. They'll haul it to their bin and then they'll haul it back out of their bin. And when you think about how much fuel it takes to move to from the time they plant the grain before they even plant it. And I didn't even mention some other things that they could do also in there. By the time they, they actually decide that they're going to plant a crop the following fall, you know, you're in a 12, 13 pass system just to get grain to an elevator for it to be processed into what some people call food for cattle, I guess, not me, but some people call that, that, you know, but right. um, it's just insane. It's insane of how much energy goes into producing grain. And it, it sounds like your three passes to produce a corn crop minus the combine is about two gallons an acre. <laughs> it's not very much. I mean, I filled my tractor up twice this year, so it, you know, not a very big tank. Um, I didn't need to fill that probably the second time, you know, all the way up. I did. So relatively low expense system. Um, like I said, if we do spray, you know, we, we do hire um, our co-op spray and then they, you know, rip us off on, on a chemical cost, but that's all right. Um, that's what co-op And like, you know, for? this year, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were originally supposed to be a cooperative to help farmers, but somehow money got involved. Some weird things yeah. happened. And shareholders then, yeah, got involved. Shareholders got involved. And now you see that their their CEOs, you know, drive now probably eighty, ninety thousand dollar pickups and have great big houses. I don't know. Something weird happened there. I'm not sure what happened, but that's above my pay grade, I guess. So um we, I just go along with the flow. But yeah, you know, I was gonna give an example. This year I planned this Milo field, this beautiful cover crop stand, and got a really darn good stand for the most part. I've got some places that's patchy, got a really good stand. And I thought, okay, I'm not going to do herbicide on this field. Mother Nature had other ideas. The soybeans from last year decided to germ that either shattered out of the combine or shattered out of pods. And I had soybeans with Milo. My first thought was, okay, I'm not going to spray the soybeans because, you know, legume, grass, plus, plus. 
Well, the Milo was stunted and the beans kept growing and they were outgrowing the Milo. So I decided to desiccate the soybeans. Um, it was a decision I made, you know, so we had a harvestable crop. You know, sometimes we have to do things that we won't, don't want to do on row cropping. And that's one thing I hate about row cropping. The, the pasture thing is so simple in my system. It just, there's no herbicides involved. There's no even thought of an insecticide. I don't use insecticides in my row crop, but there's not even a thought of that. Um, there's just, there's not much that can go wrong. It's such a minimalistic system that works so efficiently is better for the environment. You know, I, I preach all the time about regenerative ag, right? I've had this discussion with some of my close friends and I say this publicly, no form of row cropping can ever be truly sustainable. If that's what we're trying to get a diverse pasture with diverse amounts of, of, of types of livestock is the only truly sustainable system in my in my opinion um and i know i'm gonna piss off a lot of people with that but i think that's the truth that's okay i'll jump on that hill with you and plant a flag okay the, the days <laughs> the days of planting annual crops of, of high of of yearly planting of annual crops that require a lot of input those days those days are numbered now I'm not saying that it's completely going to go away, but the days of that are numbered. And, you know, we talk about regenerative, we talk about sustainable and what's, what is ultimate long-term sustainable? What is, we have to regenerate things. We have to scale down to get back to a point where things are sustainable. And maybe it is some sort of pasture cropping system with livestock integrated where one out of three years you're getting a crop off that area and you rotate livestock around between perennial pasture with annual crop strips in it. You know, it anyway, I'm dreaming here and we don't have, we don't have visual aids, so I'll shut up. <laughs> Introducing C90 ocean minerals. C90 offers complete nutrient support for today's farm and ranch with over 90 minerals and trace elements in nature's perfect balance. C90 remineralizes soil, increases pasture quality, and elevates the wellness of your herd. Enjoy improved drought resistance, increased pasture protein and RFV values, and the elimination of pink eye and foot and hoof rot. Originally discovered by Dr. Maynard Murray, C90 is the only product that meets his standards for sea energy agriculture, including a living ocean source and elevated amounts of macro and trace elements. Freshly created in the Sea of Cortez and OMRI certified, C90 is free from pollutants and contaminants, including microplastics. Visit C90.com to learn more today. That's S-E-A-90.com. C90 is available through distributors across the U.S., including over 200 tractor supply locations. Click the link in the show notes to find the dealer nearest you. We're always looking to grow our network. Give us a call or email today and be sure to mention that Ranching Reboot sent you. Please check the show notes for all the contact information. Now back to this week's episode. Well, one thing, you know, Brian, that's harming uh, this movement uh, is government. They've got, they've got too much of a chokehold on farmers and it's not them helping us. It's, it's truly a chokehold because if you think about the whole basis of crop insurance, it's based off of wheat, corn, and beans. What is ironic about crop insurance being based off those three things? What does the United States trade to other countries? So what do we ship a crap ton of carbon and nutrients over to other countries with corn, wheat, and beans? So, um, um, and that's why they have crop insurance on those things. 
it's it's a system of setting up for um, this mental. It's it's this it's this reductionist system that is is baloney, and, and it's it's caught. And a lot a big part of the problem is truly government. It is it is government choking down the farmer. Farmers think, oh wow, we're getting a new STEMI package. No, you're getting aid to raise more corn and soybeans and wheat, so that way they can trade it to other countries. They're not helping you. Um, I hate to say you, but Uncle Sam is not in your corner of this ring. Um, He's in the opposite. And he just put his gloves on and and he's ready to take you out in round one. So, um, you know, just uh, farmers need to be aware of that and and think about the entire logic and the basis of um, of row cropping. You know, our our ancestors row crop some, but what else did they have? They may have took in uh, uh, laying periods, what they would call them, where they put in perennials for three years and grazed them. So, you know, we didn't get synthetic fertilizer until 19, uh, 1952 in Missouri. We didn't get synthetic fertilizer from 1952. Right. So how did we farm all those years without synthetic inputs? Okay. So, you know, it, it always blows my mind when people say they have to have – I'm going on kind of a tangent here, a rant, but it blows oh, my course. mind when people <laughs> – people, like farmers think they have to have these synthetic inputs because I always go back to them. Like, well, how did everybody do it before 1948 in Missouri? Well, well, that that's different. No, it's not. Actually, our soils are po- more poorly degraded now than they were back then even. So um, it, it's it's amazing. And, and you know, and, and there's all, have you ever always noticed there's always a new product and this is going to give you X, Y, Z and yield, right? I mean, you know what I'm talking about, CK. This, there's, a, there's a new biostimulant that, amazingly is just protozoa but it's going to give or a, a zotobacter it's an azotobacter bacteria it's a fix a, a nitrogen fixing bacteria you're going to put this on your crop and it's going to give you a heck of a lot of yield it's going to give you 10 bushel on average well how come in row cropping when you add all these different things you know oh you're supposed to get eight bushel from this 10 bushel from this nine bushels of that well i should have 500 bushel corn well how come i'm picking 200 bushel corn it doesn't you know X plus Y does not equal Z or whatever. I don't know. I suck at algebra, but you know, um, two plus it, two uh, does not it, equal 22. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There you go. So it's just, they always sell you this stuff based off of yield. That's what I was getting at. They always base you these products and they sell them to you with, you look at your yield, you're going to gain. And so I'm not opposed to trying products in my farm. I tried a lot of different products done side by sides. Most of these products are crap. I mean, they really are. They're just crap and they're selling you just crap. P and K, I believe, is an entire farce if you just keep living plants in your system. I, I don't believe P and K is even even 1% of what matters to crop yield. I really don't. And P and K is one of our most expensive inputs on a, on a farm. And even, even ranchers, a lot of ranchers put, you know, in P and K down. And I think it's a farce. Uh, a lot of these, a lot of these uh, bug and jug type things are a farce. Now, pump the brakes a little bit. I will reiterate. I think that some mycorrhizal products on an early no-till cover crop system might be beneficial for that farmer. They're just going to do side by sides to know whether it is or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of this stuff is like, it's just basically crap. I mean, it's just crap that they sell to us, and it's it's not true. And and think about this for a second, Brian and CK. Think about this. Who sells us these chemicals and these fertilizers mostly? Bayer, right? Okay, so the products that we use to raise our food, we, we use their products. And when we get sick, who sells us the medicine as well? 
Who sells this medicine? You know, is it Bear? Last week, I talked about the Georgia Guidestones, which means the ATF, NSA, CIA, and FBI are already listening. Oh, so let's yeah. get all the rest. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, it's I mean, it's true, though. Think about it. It's true, though. I mean, they sell us the they sell us the crap that's supposed to help our cross, but then when people get sick, they sell us the medicine that's supposed to help that, and then we get cancer. We're going to sell you the CNN news to try to sponsored this. by Pfizer. Yeah. And the next news yep. segment is about that you need to get another vaccine. Yeah, there's no conflict of interest there, none. No, definitely not. And also, these pharmaceutical companies would never ever try to persuade a politician to view their way not ever they would never do that no and and you know they're they're of the utmost integrity and i know that they would never try to buy off any scientists or any researchers to ghostwrite or to falsify data <coughs> jonathan lundgren <coughs> yeah i know <laughs> all right let's take the sarcasm hat off for a second and keep going <laughs> yeah yeah no kidding um no, uh, well, you know, it's I cannot cover everything that's going on in my farm, you know, like what you asked me earlier within even probably a six hour segment. But I will highlight some of the, the views and the things that I that I visualized on my farm that anyone can come on my farm. I have an open door policy. It's free. We give out farm tours all the time to people that just want to come see it, whether you're from the city or from or you're a farmer or rancher. Um, we have an open door policy on our farm and, and some things I've observed on my farm this year is number one way more diversity in my pasture and my soil on my row crop land is starting to have gorgeous structure at least three and four inches down beautiful aggregation three to four inches down and um i've also noticed that the cows the cow herd this year is some of my best calves i have ever had i mean i've got i've got four stud bulls that i consider really a way above average South Pole bulls. Um, and I know I'm kind of biased there because I raised them, but um, they, they, they look very fantastic. And uh, speaking of them and speaking of my field day, did I tell you what else happened um, before my field day? Are we talking about the one back in May? The 10 inches of rain? Yeah. 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 Did I tell you what else happened there? Uh, enlighten me, sir. 40-some mama South Pole cows down that's that's less than ideal yep. so how'd that situation work out okay so you know there's a water tank where i've gauged the high water area before and i thought okay i'll move the cows up past this tank they'll be safe never seen the water get there before so you know what happens whenever water um gets up big um the cow or when it was raining really hard i should say the cows decided that night that they would go back towards the hedgerow which ironically is next to the river and then they got uh, island. <laughs> they found themselves on a little island, 40-some mama cow south poles. And, of course, the polywire that I'd set up the day before to try to help keep them off there was also underwater. Um, and this was not supposed to be this bigger rain. They were shocked when it happened. You know, go figure. You know that works with the weather. I've had seven inches on and, a 0% uh, chance day before. <laughs> yeah, that's how I felt that day. Uh, so talk about being sick, waking up that morning, seeing my cows on an island. Well, as the river kept increasing, uh, pretty soon they were all swimming down river. And I called uh, a kid that works with me. Um, 
and uh, I had another friend that showed up and we swam in the river and we lost, uh, we lost eight animals down river. I don't know what happened to them. I would assume the worst, but those South poles, I tell you what are survivors. They swam for, I'm not exaggerating when I say probably three hours, they swam for three hours straight against current. And when these animals come out, they were exhausted and I was exhausted and I thought I was the world's worst rancher on this planet. And uh, that feeling will I come can, back over and over and over through your career. <laughs> we all, yeah, we all feel it from time hard. to time. Yes, yes. And what I was going to say, though, was how quickly they rebounded. Okay, yeah. I, by the time I got the cattle back to the pasture that evening, and then a, and another one showed up later, like the next day or two or three days later, I don't remember. A few more actually did show up. By the time, um, by the time they got back to grass, they did not know that they were stressed. And and these bulls, like there was a bull. His number is uh, is one one six. So the one stands for twenty one, and then he was the sixteenth calf born, and he was all the way across the river and i called i got this weird call that sounds like uh i, I don't know what you call it like a like a if uh if a frog and a donkey combine for a cow call that's what my cow call is so i did I, I sounded the frog donkey horn and he he put it in turbo and he swam across the current to me came to me he's like there's my human he he's gonna get me safe yeah he swam all the way across river come up on land and you know what the first thing he did after swimming for that many hours was started eating grass and standing there right next to me it was it was it was insane and he is one of the best looking animals on the farm he's one of those four that i said was a stud he is just built and i think about it it's because he had such good exercises swimming in the river he's built (laughs) he's just stout as can be just muscle and um looks amazing i i like i said i just uh yeah, that, that was a very humbling experience. So yeah, it's been a lot. It's been a year for ups and downs. I will say it has been, it has been a roller coaster. but you know, ultimately my wife's healthy. My kids are healthy. I'm healthy. You know, the animals right now are still grazing. The row crops are thirsty, but they're surviving the sun shining. You know, it's a good day. It's a good day. And it's a good day to be a farmer or a rancher. You know, it's, we are, I, I am thankful almost every day I step out on the land and look at the land and be, be able to work with the land every day. It's just a, it's a wonderful, gorgeous thing that we can do, you know, as farmers and ranchers. I think we're, we're honored. It's an honor. It's a privilege to be mm-hmm. able to care for the land and raise food. And I just wish that government regulations and public perception were a little different and maybe not quite as hostile <laughs> sometimes. Right. Right. But Hey man, it takes people like, it takes people like you making a difference. This podcast, you know, it takes everybody. It's, this is not one person cannot do this. It takes Alejandro in Mexico. It takes Dr. Christine Jones. It takes Gabe in North Dakota. It takes you in Kansas. It takes me. It takes Russell Hendrickson in in North Carolina. It takes Jimmy Emmons in Oklahoma. It takes everybody. It takes a collective whole of people to try to change the normal. And, and it's a community, it's a community of, of well-minded people. And there's people that, you know, that, that have made huge impacts that didn't necessarily come from agricultural background. Take Jessica Nadd, for example, did oh, not yeah. come from agricultural background 
and has made a huge positive impact on all of this. She was actually the first one that found me and got me, I guess what you could say, the public eye, you know, and um, just there is so many people making a huge difference. And, and some of these companies, man, some of these companies, they're trying to step up. You know, General Mills is trying to step up. They, they think what they've been doing in the past, I don't want to speak for them, but the way I take it from outside looking in mm-hmm. is that they want to change. They want to do better. Um, multiple companies, you know, uh, Manivals Incorporated, Cook's Venture, uh, even, you know, McDonald's is even trying to do I mean, McDonald's is in talks with some of the people that I'm friends with and involved with. Th- th- there is major companies trying to change. And this is not government pushing them to change. This is not because of regulation or being forced to change. This is a human aspect and a human uh, interval in our lives where we're trying to change to to help regenerate our climate, our soil, our environment, our people, our animals, our legacies. It's all together. It's just one whole, you know, holistic, united group of people. And it's just it's just gorgeous. And I just. I just can't, I, I can't blabber enough about it. As you can tell, it just, it's really cool. You all just come together. And I think one of the things that's driving it, like a major driver and CK, I bet you'll, you'll either back me up on this or you'll tell me I'm wrong. Is, yeah. Is all the companies starting to worry about their um, ESG scores? Their ESG. They're all getting ESG arms. Yep. Yep. Because that's like, you know, that, that's, for lack of a term, you know, that that's a woke business will have an, a high ESG score and be, you know, worry about the environmental and social and cultural justice bullshit. Mm-hmm. I worry about some of the definitions of that. And I worry about some of the paths that that could lead us down as far as tying, tying an ESG score to a personal level. Right. And, you know, some of the ramifications that could have with, you know, digital currency that's a whole nother conspiracy theory rabbit trail. Um, <laughs> but the ESG, you know, that's going to be reported to big investors. And so, yeah, you'll have big green investment funds that have billions of dollars. And if a company's not, you know, working towards better in their ESG score in certain ways that, you know, the investors are going to look for, they're not going to invest with them. Right. And I think a lot of companies, like some of the ones that you named, um, I'll go ahead and name drop a couple Cargill Burger King. I think they're yeah. really almost in a panic right now of of the promises that they've made that are coming due in six or seven years towards the end of the decade you know to be carbon neutral like i don't think any of them knew what that meant when they made the promise i don't think any of them had half of an idea what that meant when they made the promise and you know they're trying to rapidly improve their esg scores to you know to maintain their appeal for financing because the whole you know, the, the Wall Street finance model is changing. You know, it's going to a lot of crowdsourcing and the younger group of investors has access to a whole different, whole different kind of information. And they have entirely different values than the last generation of dot-com investors had. So they know they've got to change the game or they know they've got to change their public perception and, and how they do business. I'm just wondering, you know, if, if some of these companies are really bought into it for the right reasons or not. And that being said, we maybe shouldn't question a company's reason or, or an organization's reason for wanting to be involved in regenerative agriculture and sustainable food systems, whatever angle they're coming at. 
like we can find common ground in reducing inputs, reducing supply chains, and trying to take care of our communities. And if we yeah, can't and, find and common ground of, there, maybe we shouldn't do business. Well, and also, you know, another thing, Brian, you know, is is a lot of these companies don't understand what carbon is. They don't understand. They think it's this stagnant object that you can just place in the soil. It stays there forever. It's not. You know, that's whenever Indigo, when they first started to, you know, calling and tooting everybody's horn, you know, and they promised you all this stuff. I said, do you even understand the carbon cycle? Yeah. And how are you going to measure? Are you measuring water extractable carbon? Or are you measuring the 50 to 58% of carbon in organic matter? How are you measuring this? And so, you know, carbon is a cycle. It, it's just like the nitrogen cycle, the water cycle. Um, it's not this stagnant object that we just move around in place and then it's there. And to be carbon neutral, to me, the, the entire terminology doesn't make any sense from a company's view. Um, because I don't, I don't see how they can ever claim to be that because you think about it, whatever products that they have, they have to haul those said products. So they're hiring outside trucking companies to hire those. And well, I, those aren't their emissions. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Those aren't, that's not their it, emissions. Right. It goes back to the difference but, between scope one, two, and three emissions. Do you know what those are? No. Okay. I got a good car analogy. And it's probably inaccurate. And if you got a better one, go ahead and write in and, and explain it to me. But so like we're building a car, okay? Our scope one emissions are the energy that we use to actually, to, to put the sub assemblies together. Okay. And get that thing out the door from the time those parts land till the time that assembly leaves. That's our scope one emissions. And that's what they're worried about. Okay. That's what, that's what companies like Burger King and McDonald's and Wendy's and, and Long John Silver's and pizza. That's what they're worried about. They're worried about their scope one emissions. Like how is our carbon change from the time this crap hits our door till the time, you know, it's in a trash can going out the backside or the customer leaves with it. That's what they're worried about. So scope two is going to be all the various sub assemblies that go into the car. It's going to be the box of tomatoes, the box of onions, the carton of flour coming to Subway to make the sandwiches. Okay, those are scope two emissions. So what all emissions are required to produce, transport, refine that product? Okay, where it gets really wild is when we get down to scope three emissions. Okay, so then in the car, you're talking about the emissions from the mine to mine to mine the to mine the the iron to mine the coal the emissions at the steel plant the emissions at the rolling mill the emissions at the forming die the emissions at the subassembly plant and know, the employees right and all their employees so a simple business with short supply chains like ours okay we can potentially survive a scope three emissions analysis and come out looking really good. Will Harris has done it. Nobody else can do it. Okay. It's not possible for anybody else to survive it. Okay. I can't say that because this is probably going to last forever. I find it very, very unlikely that in 2022, any business can survive a scope three emissions analysis. With employees, you mean? Even without employees. I mean, even if it's just okay. a one-man show. Well, well, what about, what about, okay, uh, hold up, pump the brakes. What about 
like a, a little bit like a farmer um, who maybe just produces food for himself. Look, if we're talking an Amish farmer with horses, okay, I'll get behind that, right? Okay. But, but so you're saying it's not impossible is what I'm saying. So, it's so not maybe, impossible. Right. You know, Amish farmer without any inputs that's, you know, tractor-drawn machinery. I could get there. I could get that he's got, okay. you know, on the doing regenerative stuff, right? Right. I, could get, I could get that they'd survive a scope three emissions analysis and maybe even be quite positive. I could probably get to scope two and be positive, but getting that scope three, you know, which is going to be all the machinery that I need, like my gator. Well, that's going to be all, that's going to be a hard push. Yeah, that would be. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, it's just that is, is that realistic though for where we're at ever? I mean, I don't know if that could ever be the, and maybe I'm wrong, you know, but I just, I don't see where we're at within with the industrial system, you know, major how we change. could ever even major change. Right. But people are going to have to learn to live without the conveniences of, of everyday life. I mean, the convenience of not having Walmart, the convenience of things like that. You know, when you talk about the scope of that and, um, you know, there's probably some, uh, we definitely have some advantages by creating emissions. <laughs> I hate to say that, but, there's there's quite a few advantages and and my views kind of i guess uh smash on each other because i believe in more independent businesses you know my first thought yesterday one of my first thoughts i shouldn't say my first thought but one of my first thoughts when i was driving home and i drove past where mark has wreck yesterday was we live on baseline and there's a wreck every single week here and it's a short stretch every single week there's a wreck and the state will not fix this road it drops off five feet at a straight angle off the edge of the road. I mean, it's steep. And these trucks get off of it and cars get off of it all the time. And I thought if this road was privatized and this happened one time, they would be scared to death of getting sued. Exactly. And they would change. They would change this road instantly. And the, the fact that it's paid for via taxpayers, me and you, it is not fixed. And so someone who who the community obviously cared so much for and so much on Facebook about that man, about Mark, maybe his life could have been spared if government wasn't involved in our road system. So, so see, see how small that is? You know what I'm saying? See how small of, a, of something that is not privatized becomes an issue? And, and, and what I was getting at with that was there's a lot of things that I feel are conveniences that I enjoy with big business because – I'm sorry, but like, it's sure handy being able to go to the gas station and when I'm headed to, you know, somewhere and stop and get gas and grab a quick snack that's terrible for me, that's probably going to give me cancer and drive on to my own free choice. By my own free choice, I like to have that, you know, of like, okay, I'm going to put this poison in my body. It's terrible for me. I had a Snickers bar last night, so I'm not going to judge you. <laughs> but I'm just saying, you know, I mean, but that's 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 where I draw that hard line between uh, environmental conscious and and uh, political. Uh, that's a tough way to put it, but uh, political viewing um, and how I view politics and how I view businesses and how I view the government. There's a there's a hard line there, and drawing a hard line, you know, it's there. They can sometimes be the same thing, but other times they can be completely counterintuitive. If you know what I mean. 
Yeah. Yeah, I understand. I definitely understand. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely get me. So what else is on your mind, Mac? Well, um, a few other things. Uh, I would like to hear more about your cattle operation. I would like to hear more about how your cows are doing. My cows are doing great. Um, we've been on a salt and scenery program since, since early May. Um, haven't had any supplement at all. No fly control, no insecticide, nothing. Haven't had any problems with any pink eyes, weepy eyes, bad feet, nothing. Um, I did do a week of mineral water treatment, which, uh, I think definitely helped level out some level out some what I was seeing that I thought were copper bumps. They, they tended to shrink a little bit and some cadmium issues that I was seeing in some of the customer cows in the spine. Um, that's going to be a ridge at between the hook, between about the hook bones and the shoulder bones. Um, when you start seeing that ridge, especially when you start seeing the individual vertebrae in it, that's indicative of a cadmium problem. Um, and the mineral water really helped clear that up this year too. Um, they're, they're really good. I mean, it, the cows look better than they than they did last year at this time, which, you know, a lot of guy, a lot of the old timers will say when it's hot and dry, the grass is really hard. It's really hard. It's really punchy. It's really got a lot of punch. And I'm definitely seeing that this year. That you know, yeah, they're they're sucking down whatever they can find, and they're kind of having to hustle for it and find it. Um, you know, primarily 40 percent of it is weeds. Corrientes are half goat anyway, so they're out there licking willow trees at nine o'clock in the morning and trying to eat my oaks down. And uh, but yeah, they're they're just going to town. The Corrientes look, I mean, they look great. Um, all the young stock, uh, man. And okay, so some of my two-year-olds are um, some of my two-year-olds aren't a whole lot bigger than my one-year-olds, honestly. Um, I've got some one-year-old cross, but most of my two-year-olds are, are, are straight up Coriente. So we're going to expect them to be a little bit smaller and a little bit finer in the rest. Almost all of my one-year-olds are going to be crossbred. And I've got some really great looking one-year-olds. Um, I think I've said it before on a podcast, but so last winter, um, it was about, it was like late November. I moved out of the Northeast part of the ranch, which is where I was for a while. Mm -hmm. I was gone for about two weeks. I'd been out of there about two weeks. I wasn't gone. It's not like I ever go anywhere. Um, but I just <laughs> hadn't, didn't go back up there and look because, you know, you move these things 50, 50, 60, 70, 80, 100 times, you know, they're there. It's <laughs> you know, like, right. you know, it's counting. I know right. they're all here. I saw the last three that are always the last three. We're probably all here. So I wasn't paying much attention. Anyway, a couple of weeks later, I looked and there were two of my yearling heifers that were separated from the main herd back up in this, you know, big, big cell of the ranch. And I tried to get them back a couple of times and where they were, where they were, there's a couple places on the ranch that are just, if you get cows stuck in them, it can be real damn inconvenient to get them out of just because of terrain, like you can't get from here to there on a horse turbo razor. Like you just need to have a helicopter or you're going way right. around. And by the time you go way around, you know, 
those two would slip past and go somewhere else or you know they'd slip another draw that i'd have to go all the way around so i fought with them several times and ended up saying you know what screw it i will leave the gates open so you guys can come back to, close to the herd they never did so i had two heifers two yearling heifer or two you know baby heifer calves that weaned themselves out of the main herd had the run of about 600 acres for close to six months. They did not get salt. They did not get protein. And I didn't even go up there and break ice for them. And those are two of the best looking yearling heifers running around that herd right now. One of them is probably really? the biggest. Yeah. If she's not the biggest, she's on the top three list for weight. Huh. Well, you think about that, they had free access to everything that was good. You know, they, they had access, I mean, two cows on 600 acres had access to everything that was good on the farm. And so they got choice all the time. Yeah. And um, so, so that's one probably reason also, and also the fact that they didn't have the stress. I mean, whenever, that's what's good about having a big herd like what you have, because it actually creates higher competition. And so you actually have better genetics come out of a larger herd, you know, and those small ones, those are not shouldn't say small ones the two that were by themselves didn't have as much stress in natural competition because they're just by themselves so that makes a lot of sense that makes a heck of a lot of sense actually but ever since we got them back with the herd they're in the middle (laughs) like they're with they're not off by themselves like they're checked in to the group so you were talking uh, that's the (laughs) go ahead the rest of the cows yeah they they're staying with the cows now they're like okay we spent our six months out on sabbatical we're good we're, we want to stay with the group that was kind of scary as shit i wasn't thinking that like, <laughs> we scared them yeah. uh, just a little bit ago you were talking about your south poles and i don't know if you know this or not if you listened last week you would to last week's episode is uh i got a i got a bull that's half South Pole, half Mashona. Ooh, did that by chance come from Seth Losak? No, it came from Michael Kinsey by way of Richard Coomer okay. in Texas. Seth Losak's doing the same thing. Interesting. So, so this little bull's dad, I call him Carlos. Carlos's dad, his name was Hamish. It was also owned by Michael Kinsey. Uh, Hamish now works for Joel Salatin at Polyface. Oh, cool. Yeah. All world. That's yeah. cool. And uh, and the other bull I have out right now is a fleck of the influence Simitol. That's working. So have you have you ever uh, looked into um oh uh Hmm. I just went blank on their names. They were they're uh they're only found in uh they're only found in California now. Um hmm. cannot think of what they are called. A little bit bigger body, but they're a heel animal. Um <laughs> um they're a little bit bigger than what I would probably want, but but they are man, what is their names? I have to look what that I have to look what that breed is. I just went blank, but I'll text it to you later. Cannot think what they're called. I can see them. I can't think what they're called. Happens, um, happens to me all the time. 
Yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm an airhead, man. If I'm, I'm pretty sure I have ADHD, so it's like trying to keep Mac focused is hard. My wife says I can laser down, and she's amazed at what I can do. I say I feel so scatterbrained. Like it's like uh, how do I explain it? It's like taking a jar of marbles and shaking around all the time in my head, and trying to pick out the one to pull a thought from. And so it's like all the time. I don't I don't know how to tell you this, but you probably are ADHD, and that's okay. Just. For sure. Well, the, the world is made up of all kinds of different minds. <laughs> Mine is definitely not one of the good ones. <laughs> good and bad is a different perspective. Uh, it's, and that's that's not even important. It's yours. It's the one you, you have. Uh, you just have to, you know, we just have to learn how to use the tool that's in our head a little bit better sometimes and how to harness its power. Yeah, like I said, Ray and I, when we're on the same plane, it's 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 a hard to keep a consistent conversation because we're like everywhere. Like anytime me and him do anything together, we're like bouncing around and we go back to step one and we go back and we go to step eight and we go back to step two. And it's it's then we forget we did step one. So we go back to step one, just make sure we did step one. It's a mess. Um, but but we uh, we enjoy each other. And, you know, Ray and I's conversations, they are normally about 30 minutes long. And what we originally called each other about, we never actually get to. Then we have to make another phone call after. Yeah, we have to make another phone call after we're off the phone to ask them what we're supposed to ask them the first time. That's happened multiple times. I I know how (laughs) that feels. I feel personally attacked right now. (laughs) (laughs) It's bad, man. It's really bad. Um, you know, is there? I mean, I guess Brian, you know, is there anything that you want to know more about my farm or how I raise things, or is there anything else that you know? you want to get out there that other people can hear, you know, I mean, I don't do podcasts that often. I actually turn down a few. Um, I got to do this every week and run my mouth. Is there anything you want people to know? I mean, anything specifically that you narrow me down on, like I said, that marbles and the jar shaking is what I'm dealing with. And I feel that I intensely feel that (laughs) some days more than others. Here's all my kids. They just stepped in here. Sorry, it's okay buddy how many are we let me just step now? out here uh we're uh, we're at three um with number four baking oh wow congratulations yeah so no it's crazy um it's absolutely crazy around here i always thought about i got like 25 kids so it's absolutely insane if they're like <laughs> you it probably feels like 25 uh yeah they are actually my son is very much like me except he's smarter than i am so like he uh he <laughs> shut the door they're chasing me um they uh <laughs> my wife's in another room laughing did you hear yeah. no but um my uh my son's a lot like me he just kind of like bounced around everywhere and and except he is really physically gifted and he's gonna be taller than me and also he he ranked 90 he was in the 92nd percentile for academics in oh, first wow. grade and so he's reading like a sixth grade reading level so he's really really sharp I don't know where he got that from, but um, yeah, he's a uh, he's he's super smart and he's really athletic. It's he's it's different. He, his mind's like mine. It's just that everything's focused and he's better at everything than I am. So that's what you want. Uh, yeah, I guess I don't know. He, <laughs> he he's yeah. It's 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 a lot. And the two girls, um, Emma and Evie. Emma is uh, is three, and so she is in that still terrible two age. I think it should be called terrible threes, 
because you know if she doesn't get her way it's a big scream fest and we got to go over like hey emma this is the reason why you can't punch your sister in the face <laughs> um and then the little <laughs> the littlest one uh the little fat one evie um she is our eater uh so whenever big brother and little sister don't eat their or and big sister don't eat their food she eats their food um she's also loves our pigs so we got three cooney coon pigs on the farm she loves mm-hmm. the pigs she loves all however many hundred chickens we have i don't even know how many chickens we have it's insane uh she loves all the ducks um she is she's my little farm girl and she and emma the three-year-old she likes to go with me anytime i go on the four-wheeler every time i fire the four-wheeler daddy i want to go i want to go and then about two minutes in she's like are we gonna go home is it almost time to go home i'm like yeah we'll be down here in a little bit so 25 minutes later i take her back home and then she didn't have very fun mom kayla goes do you have very much fun she goes no not really it's like oh Okay, well, she always wants to go, though, so that's what I deal with every single day, but that's all right. It's great being a family farm, you know? Get to spend all the time in the world with your kids. Yep, yep, and raise the kids that, you know, the way that, you know, you want to raise them. It's pretty great, and try to do the best you can as a parent, man. Being a parent has probably been my hardest job ever. It is, it's tough. Well, if you're about ready to get out of here, I'll let you go. CK, you got anything? I was just wondering if, um, are you doing a lot of consulting for others? I remember last time we had this conversation, you were like, I'm, I'm getting offers. I don't know what I want to do. Are you doing? Yes. Yeah. I turned down, I turned down all the offers I got. Yeah. I've also, yeah. Also turned down some, uh, also turned down some label offers. I guess you could say I've turned those down yeah. too, as of right now. Um, I just, I don't know where my niche is right now, but I don't think it's with a big company or in my eyes, big. I think that I just would rather focus, like you guys said, on my family, on my farm, on my other enterprises we got going yeah. on. Yeah. Real estate, trucks, semis. I've got plenty to do. And so, uh, just, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I guess, does that answer your question? I, I think, yeah. I, I don't think right now I'm going to do consulting now. If you buy cover crop seed off me, you're going to get a 30 minute lecture on soil health. That's just how it works. <laughs> so, or are they buying the soil know, health lecture and getting free seed? Yeah, that's what it should be. But um, no, you know, if you call me and the first one of the first things out of your mouth is, hey, I heard the cover crop guy, there's this NRCS program that I'm involved in. Click. That's the reason why you got the, the click because I don't have time to deal with someone that just wants to hand out. That's not worth my time, and I'm not worth the seed sale, in my opinion. So done that to quite a few farmers and pissed off quite a few people. But, you know, if like I said, if you come into me the conversation about wanting to just don't care what the cover crop is and you just want to get the $40 an acre, I'm not really about that, and I'm not going to take the time with you. You can go buy a seed off somebody else. So it's fair enough. <laughs> Draw a hard line there. Good. All right, so if somebody wants to buy seed from you, get a hold of you, send you hate mail, where do they need to go? Uh, easiest way to contact me is my cell phone. I've got it on me seven days a week. Uh, I get uh, 90 to 100 calls a day, so be patient. I will get back with you. Um, and my phone number is 417-660-9207. Again, that's 417-660-9207. And you can also add me on Facebook if you want to follow me on social media. Facebook's the only one I really feel like I have time for. Um, and my name is spelled M-A-C-A-U-L-E-Y. 
And my last name is Kincaid, K-I-N-C-A-I-D. So you can add me on Facebook. I've got, I don't know, 3,000 some people on my Facebook, I think. Maybe I don't know more. Um, but I will, I promise I will get back with you. If you call me, I do not answer because I just funnel through a lot of stuff every day. Um, when you have as much going on as I have going on and you have all the contacts that I have with the cover crop seed thing and the soil health thing and the trucking company and then some tenants and the family and other farmers around the area needing help every single day mm-hmm. with questions on a ground, it gets a little swamp sometimes. So I can imagine. I can imagine. I do get back with everybody though. I do. I really do. I, I feel like I get back with everyone. And if I don't, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I'm going to make sure we'll have a link to your Facebook profile in the show notes, but I am not going to put your phone number in there uh, okay. unless you really, really Damn. want me to. Yeah. So if you guys missed his phone number about two minutes ago, just go back two minutes and listen and write it down. That's about all I got to tell you. Cause I don't know. I feel like if I put it in the show notes, then, you know, all the Google bots and yeah. you know, all the Russian spy bots, they'll get that number. And instead of getting a hundred calls a day from people that actually want knowledge from you, you'll be getting a thousand calls a day for your car's extended warranty. Oh, uh, Hey Brian, I got a funny story for you. You got about five seconds or five minutes. If you want to hear it. Yeah. Let's, let's lay it on us. And let's get out of here. Okay. Not really funny, but I guess kind of a, one of those eye opening moments. Um, I was helping a farmer plant beans who needed help and running his equipment because I don't know, I guess I need something to do and drilling beans and they were treated with Saltro, which is a sudden death syndrome treatment. Come to find out Mac is alerted to that. So when Mac is completely coated in that and goes home that night and takes a shower and Saltro is activated by water, I swelled up like a tick quickly. That's not cool. And uh, no, and I don't have insurance, stupid Mac. And so I uh, went to the hospital for 30 minutes because I told them, I said, hey, it's wheat harvest. I need to get going. Give me some Benadryl and shoot me with a steroid and I'm going to get going. (laughs) And so I was there for 30 minutes and it cost me $2,140. So all I got to say is whatever you do, stay out of the ER. (laughs) That's all I'm saying. Even if you have insurance, it could add up really really fast crazy man well hey brian thank you so much for having me man i really appreciate ck thank you for putting up with me guys it's been a blast mac as always it's um it's a fun fast conversation it's with you it's kind of like trying to hang on to a fire hose and i always (laughs) i always enjoy the challenge always enjoy you and your energy mac thanks man i appreciate you this episode has been sponsored by c90 ocean minerals Visit C90.com to find a distributor near you or call to request a quote today. That's S-E-A-9-0.com. And don't forget to mention that Ranching Reboot sent you. Have a great week, y'all. All right, guys. That's it. That's it for us. We're out of here. Go enjoy your week. Bye.